when we look at dispensational premillennialism, we want to look at the, um, the program. And we started that last week. We want to continue that tonight. The program that they have and uh, what their belief is and what the Bible says. But before we do that, I want to give you a sequence of um, events in millennialism in the order that they say that they're going to occur. The next coming event of God's timetable of prophecy according to the premillennialists is the rapture. The word rapture, to be caught up, does not appear in the Bible. It is used, however, to describe the event of course, of 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 17, in which believers are caught up to be with Christ in his second coming. The rapture refers to the time period to the start of the seven-day tribulation period, when believing Christians, both dead and alive, will, in the twinkling of an eye, rise up to meet Christ in the air. After the rapture will come the tribulation This will be a seven-year period following the rapture, a phenomenal uh, uh, event that's going to take place, uh, and it will be a world trial and world suffering. It is is at this time that the Antichrist will reign over a federation of ten nations, which, of course, uh, possibly can include the United States, obviously. Daniel 9.27 and Matthew 24.21 are their references to that. We're going to take these one at a time and, and show what the Bible says about them. Because we are in the process of disproving this, this false theory of dispensational premillennialism. Judgment seat of Christ. Here the believers raptured into heaven will stand before their Lord to receive crowns and rewards. Their sins have already been paid for at the cross. 1 Corinthians um, 5, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Then comes the battle of Armageddon. This will occur at the end of the seven year tribulation period when the Lord Jesus Christ comes down from heaven and wipes out the combined armies of more than 200 million men. The blood path covers over 185 miles in Israel. Revelation 14.20 is their reference. We talked a little bit about that reference last week. This, they claim, will take place in the, battle, in the uh, Valley of Jezreel. Uh, those of you, like me, that have been there a number of times know that that valley exists. And that is going to be where the Battle of Armageddon is going to uh, uh, take place in those areas of 185 miles in Israel. Judgment of the nations after Armageddon. Christ will personally inaugurate, be inaugurated, and upon the earth, his earthly kingdom will begin and reign. The people from all nations who have survived the tribulation will be judged individually as to whether or not they may enter Christ's kingdom. Their reference is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. At this time, the surviving unsaved, non-believers, are judged before Christ, and the wicked are expelled from off the earth into everlasting punishment, where they will, will await their final judgment. Revelation twenty eleven through 15 is their reference. The righteous, however, 
with joy will be permitted to enter the promised millennial kingdom. Resurrection of the tribulated, tribulation saints, those who have accepted Christ during the tribulation will be raised from the dead by the close of the tribulation, tribulation seven years as part of the first resurrection. Daniel 12, 1 and 2 and Revelation 20. Um, they will have, they will dispose of the evil ones during this same time period. Antichrist and the false prophets are thrown into the lake of fire. Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation 20, 1 through 3. The millennial 1,000 year reign of Christ, when all the believers and all the uh, ages, um, all the ages reign with Christ, Christ will reign on the earth and the Old Testament promised kingdom prophesies of world peace will at once come true, Isaiah 11 and Revelation 20. The final rebellion at the end of the millennium, Satan will have a brief and last opportunity to deceive people. You must remember that many will be born during the millennial period. Millions will follow Satan. This horde of perhaps millions of people will completely encircle the believers and encompass Jerusalem in a stage of siege. When this occurs, God brings fire down from heaven, killing the millions of Satan's army. Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment. This is when the unsaved, non-believers are judged before God and condemned forever to the lake of fire. Both living and dead, unsaved, are judged here. Those previously dead up to this point have already been uh, in hell of torment awaiting this final judgment day, Revelation 20. Then the earth burns up. To purify this earth, God sets it afire with a fervent heat. First Peter, uh, Second Peter 3, 7, and 10. That, my friend, is the timetable of the dispensational premillennialist. Now, let's turn to their program and take a look at what they claim to uh, have planned during this time. <clears throat> Based on the number of prophecies which they had misrepresented for many centuries before Christ, of course, appeared among the Jews as a teacher. The Jews had envisioned the coming of the Messiah who had been promised by those prophecies. They had a deep and longing desire for the kingdom which God had promised. They were certain that when it was established that would have them then uh, have an earthly kingdom, uh, earthly king uh, who would be able not only to drive the Roman military forces out of the land, also to conquer quickly all others among the prophecies which related to this matter um, are as follows. Number one, those relating to the seed promise back in Genesis, those relating to the land promise, of course, in Genesis as well, and the prophecies concerning the promise of restoration um, uh, from the land of Babylon. Also, promises relating to the king and his kingdom, and those, of course, Second Samuel, Isaiah, Daniel, Genesis, Psalms, many, many verses. Now, let us turn to, let us turn to the, uh, let's see here. Number one here. I think we've spoken about this last week. A vital part, of course, of the millennial program is the 
contention that the prophecies of the Old Testament indicate that the Messiah was to reign on a literal throne over a fleshly uh, Israel in Jerusalem. And that, of course, is a political ruler. We understand that as being one of their part of their program. Um, the coming of Jesus to offer the kingdom of the Jews. Once we finish this series of in their program, I want to spend some time talking just about the kingdom of God and what the Bible really says about the kingdom. We have to understand a lot about the kingdom in order to refute some of these arguments. Second of all, in their program, the coming of Jesus to offer the kingdom to the Jews. That's part two of their program. They believe that they hold that because Christ did not measure up to the image which the Jews had of their promised king, most of them rejected him. They further hold that this fact, uh, coupled with his condemnation of the Jews because of, uh, of, of, of things that had taken place, of course, there at his, uh, led to his crucifixion. Thus it is, they claim that the Jews crucified the king, rejected the kingdom, and the Jews were, were able to accomplish the crucifixion only by an appeal of the, of the uh, military power of Rome, a nation which the Jews hated with a vengeance because they, the Jews, so severely resented being a conquered people. They could not forget the great history of Israel as a kingdom under David. In those days, Israel was the conqueror, not the conquered. They could not forget the great physical glory and the widespread fame of Solomon and the kingdom over which he ruled. And even though many years had passed without the Jews having a king, they hoped for such a powerful king ruling by means of military might over a glorious earthly kingdom that would never diminish there can be little doubt that by this hope they blinded themselves to the spiritual import of the prophecies concerning the king and his kingdom. Later, the basic promises of God concerning this matter and what it had to do with the fact that it would uh, raise up one of David's descendants to be king will be, of course, discussed a little bit later in detail. The Jews envisioned also only an ordinary, purely human descendant of David who would sit on a physical, literal throne on earth, who would rule by means of military power. The basic thing in their mind was an earthly kingdom with material wealth and military power. Later it will be seen that the way the Holy Spirit guided the Apostle Peter into explaining the heart of the fulfillment of these promises On the day of Pentecost, just what the spiritual application of them should be. It must be noted that while God has promised that a descendant of David would be raised up to sit on his throne and that following his resurrection, it had never entered into the minds of the Jews that it would be a crucified and resurrected Messiah who would sit on the throne of David. It is, is a, it is a crucial element of premillennialism today to hold that the Jews were exactly right in this viewpoint. The Jews in the first century had been led to expect the premillennialists today to continue to expect a kingdom with material wealth and military power. 
that a sensual military, military uh, excuse me, materialistic view of the kingdom of God, and so do premillennialists today. But it must be noted, however, according to John chapter 6, that Jesus refused to become the kind of king. He is the king over a spiritual kingdom, the church. Let's go to another point here, point number three. The kingdom is postponed and the church has been established. With this point, our premillennialist friends hold that when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.15, it was his purpose to set up immediately the kingdom which had been prophesied by the prophets. However, according to the premillennialists, the Jews rejected the kingdom and crucified the king. This view entails the program that if the Jews as a nation had accepted Christ, then several things. One, he would have been, he would have then and there set up the kingdom with the literal city in the literal city of Jerusalem as the capital city. Number two, the Jews then would have defeated the Roman army in a military battle and that would have expelled them from the land. Thirdly, the Jews would have been exalted to the first place among the nations. So according to this theory, because the kingdom was rejected and the king was crucified, the kingdom was postponed and will not be set up until the second coming of Christ. Therefore, his kingdom will be an earthly kingdom, they say, as it was originally expected to be by the Jews. Now, an interesting question arises here. Uh, It is not significantly uh, strange that if it were the case, as premillennialists claim that God had revealed through the prophets that the kingdom would not be set up until the second coming of Christ, that Jesus himself would have declared that the kingdom was at hand in the opening days of his personal ministry. The total situation envisioned here by our premillennialist friends further entails the, and constitutes uh, the element that the church of Christ was not in God's original plan. This means that when Christ was rejected by the Jews, by the Jews, king, and when the kingdom was rejected by them as a nation, then the church was set up as sort of a temporary substitute to function until Christ comes again. This view further entails the contention that when Christ comes again, we will have the first stage of his second coming. So therefore, according to our the premillennialist theory, we are living now in the so-called church age or church dispensation. And during this period of time, the church is an institution in which men are trained to be co-rulers with Christ during the millennial dispensation. They hold that present preaching of the gospel is not an effort to save all men. Rather, it is for the specific purpose of witnessing and calling a definite number who are to compose the body of Christ. Fourthly, let's talk about the first resurrection briefly. It's mentioned in Revelation 20. We read that last week. 
It will take place, they say, according to the premillennialists, at the rapture. As premillennialism, this means when Christ comes for his saints, all saints who have died both during the Old Testament and New Testament periods will be raised from the dead. All saints then living will be changed. This is the so-called first part of the resurrection, the resurrection of the, of the tribulated saints, tribulation of saints, later to be the second part of the first tribulation. Let's go on. We're just simply making these statements that they have placed out on their timetable. Then we're going to refute every one of them. The rapture. According to premillennialism, all the saints, both resurrected and changed, will ascend to meet the Lord in the air. The church age ends at the rapture. The coming of Christ and his saints will be secret. It will be at night. The rapture will also be called the first part of the first stage of the Lord's second coming. And taking of the saints to heaven is called by the premillennialists the rapture. The church age or the so-called church dispensation is to end at the rapture or when, the, when Christ comes for his saints. Number six, the saints in heaven, including the period of the great tribulation. According to this false view, after the rapture, the saints will be in heaven and the Lord for seven years. During these seven years, the judgment of the saints will take place. This will involve the giving of each saint an appropriate reward and assigning, assigning to each his respective position. Also during this period, the so-called marriage feast in heaven will be eaten. Then during the last three and a one-half years of the seven years, there will be the occurrence of the great tribulation on earth. And although all the saints are to be caught up in he to heaven at the rapture during the period of the great tribulation, many people will be converted to Christ. The Antichrist will appear during these seven years. The saints are with the Lord in heaven. The Jews will then make a covenant with him. Those people who are converted during the seven years, the saints are with Christ in heaven, will be killed before the Lord returns. All of them, every one of them, will, of course, be killed according to their timetable. References is usually made to this point to the great tribulation of the saints. Tribulation they hold will be the most severe persecution ever brought upon man during this period. All of Israel, that is the national house of fleshly Israel, will be saved. Point number seven, the second coming and the revelation. According to the premillennialist view, the so-called revelation is to occur simultaneously with the coming of Christ with the saints to end the great tribulation. It is at this point we might consider the question, if all the pre-tribulation or tribulated saints are in heaven, and if all the tribulated saints were killed, just who is it that does the converting during this time? This will be a time that the tribulated saints are resurrected, and they are to be regarded as the gleanings of the great harvest of the first resurrection. This will be a time of the second stage of the second coming of Christ. The Gentiles who are living on the earth will be judged 
and disposed of. Christ will then ascend to the throne of David and be seated on an earthly king, as an earthly king of the so-called millennial kingdom, which then will be established. Satan will be bound and sealed in the pit. The tribulation saints will be resurrected, that is, seven years after the other saints are resurrected. This will be the so-called second part of the first resurrection. And finally, number eight. The kingdom is to be a material earthly kingdom which lasts a literal thousand years. The kingdom is to begin at the revelation. It is that over it, it is that over which Christ is to rule during this glorious reign. On earth for a literal thousand years and be seated on the throne of David. Our premillennialist friends hold that is that it is during this time that the Gentiles on earth will be converted. And as we have previously indicated, it will be a time when, according to the premillennialists, national Israel will become supreme over all the earth and will occupy the number one spot, militarily speaking, among the nations. During the millennium, the saints, members of the church, will be in Jerusalem, Palestine, and will rule as co-rulers with Christ with a rod of iron. Also, during the thousand years, Satan is bound. He is to be imprisoned in the pit. He is to be sealed over, Roman, uh, Revelation 20, Jude 6. During the period of a thousand years, no one on earth will be subjected, uh, subject to the uh, temptation. The saints will, become, will come with Christ are classified as follows. Number one, those who have suffered uh, during this time and those who have refused to wear the mark and name of the beast. Now, that is their timetable in a little bit more detail. Uh, I have forgotten to click as we went along, I think. Let's go back. The truth about, here we go. Um, yeah, the, the truth about his, um, about Christ and his kingdom. Let's take a look here. The basic argument that we see here is stated. The basic argument here has been used, one, to set forth the truth about Christ and his kingdom, and number two, to refute the essential doctrine uh, of premillennialism. And that's exactly what we're going to do. If the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the coronation of Christ all occurred in fulfillment of prophecy, if all of that has already occurred, then premillennialism is false. And Christ has been reigning as king since the first day of Pentecost, following his resurrection from the dead. Second of all, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coronation of Christ all occurred in fulfillment of prophecy. It has occurred. Therefore, I set forth that premillennialism is false and Christ has been reigning as king since the first day of Pentecost following his resurrection from the dead. If it can be shown that the prophecies relating to the death of Christ or to the burial uh, and to the resurrection or to his ascension or to his coronation involve such facts as to show that even one sub-doctrine of premillennialism is false, it will, also, it will have been shown that premillennialism all 
of it is false. According to other matters, it will also be shown that Christ is now reigning as king over his kingdom. Since the, uh, so we'll take number one, the prophecy made and fulfilled concerning the death of Christ. When you go back to the, to the proof of the argument, uh, I've written here the first premise means that if it were the original plan of God that Christ would come to this earth for a period of only approximately 33 years, as was actually the case, mentioned, of course, and recorded in the New Testament, then one, then the core of the um, uh, doctrines of premillennialism are false, and Jesus is now reigning as king. So we want to show that the sub-doctrines of the basic doctrines of this premillennialism is false. I have only to show the truth concerning his death, his burial, resurrection, his ascension, and the coronation of Christ. So in doing so, I want to show only that the that premillennialism is false, but I also shall show you that Christ is now king, reigning over his kingdom. Therefore, it is clear that will be our first premise, and it will be true. Let me see if I've got the right, yeah, here we go. Um, now, in the second stage here, the second premise that uh, states that if the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension uh, of Christ are prophesied as they actually occurred during their earthly ministry, and if they were, uh, and if he were coronated, uh, crowned as king following his ascension, then the minor premise, of course, is true. And if the second premise is true, then the sub doctrines of premillennialism are false. So, therefore, if both of the premises are uh, are true that we set forth, then the conclusion must be true. That basic conclusion entails the conjecture that premillennialism, premillennialism is false and that Christ is now reigning. Let's begin. Number one, prophecy that's made and fulfilled concerning the death of Christ. From the pen of Isaiah, we read in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. As a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And as a sheep, uh, that before its shearers is dumb, he is uh, opened, and so he opened not his mouth. By oppression, the judgment, he was taken away. And as the, for his generation, who among them considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom they stroke, the stroke was due. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. This is clearly a prophecy, brothers and sisters, concerning the Messiah. It describes, number one, what happened to Christ during his civil and religious trials. Number two, the crucifixion which resulted from the trial. All of this can be learned from the latter portion of each of the four Gospels. In Acts 8, 31 through 35, makes it clear that Philip, the inspired evangelist who preached to the man of Ethiopia, pointed out that the death of Christ constituted the fulfillment of this passage, Isaiah 53. Therefore, it is clear that the Holy Spirit, by the pen of Isaiah, indicated that Christ came not to live and reign on the earth over a military power for a thousand 
literal years, but to be crucified, just as it is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other New Testament books, indicate that he was. This alone shows that the theory of premillennialism is false. Christ died according to the determinate counsel, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2, 23. Not as a result of an unexpected, rejected, as the premillennialist doctrine states. Let's go on. Second of all, prophecies made and fulfilled concerning his burial. The prophet Isaiah also says, in Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and neither was any deceit in his mouth. Among the New Testament passages which show the actual fulfillment of this prophecy are as follows. Matthew, Luke, Mark, John, 1 Corinthians. Christ was crucified between two thieves and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Number three, what about the prophecies made for, uh, and fulfillment concerning his resurrection? The, the psalmist gives us the following message here in Psalm 16. For thou wilt not leave my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou, and this is from the old King James, without suffer any, suffer thy holy one to see corruption. According to the Apostle Peter, as recorded in Acts 2, 22 and 23, this passage was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter affirmed that he and other apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. Therefore, it is clear that it was not the plan of God that Christ should come and reign on the earth a literal thousand years but that he should be crucified at the end of a brief ministry on earth, just as he was to be raised from the dead, just as he was before he had been dead long enough for his flesh to corrupt. This point allows proof that the theory of premillennialism is false. Let's go on. Prophecy made and fulfilled concerning his coronation. In Daniel 7... 13 and 14, it says for both the resurrection and the coronation. Daniel 2.44 should also be carefully considered. Daniel 7.13 and 14 makes it clear, one, that the subsequent, uh, that the, se- the sequence to the resurrection and, hi- and his entrance into heaven dominated, um, was the domain and the glory and the kingdom were, was given to him. Number two, that all of the people, the nations, the languages should serve him. Number three, that his dominion was to be an everlasting, age-lasting dominion. In fulfillment of this prophecy in Acts 2, 1 through 47, it clearly teaches, number one, that the kingdom was set up on the first day of Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ. Number two, that he became king over a spiritual kingdom, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 16, 13 through 18, and not over some military, material, earthly kingdom with a political throne in Jerusalem. The marvelous teaching of the second chapter of Acts. 
uh, of the chapter, uh, yeah, second chapter of Acts in connection with this matter at hand will be considered now. Let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at a special look at Acts chapter 2 for just a moment before our time runs out. During the ministries of John and Jesus, the kingdom was at hand. Before considering the details in Acts 2, it would be, I think it would be valuable, uh, a value uh, to note that there was a time of preparation of the kingdom, which began with the work of John the baptizer and which continued with the work of Christ and his twelve apostles. In Matthew uh, chapter 3, 1 through 3, introduces Mary as the mother of Jesus, who was begotten by the Holy Spirit. In the statement which the priests and the scribes made uh, make to uh, Herod, in Matthew 2, the first six verses, makes it clear that Messiah... The governor who was to rule the people was to be born in the city of Bethlehem, the province of Judah. In Matthew 3, the fact that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, about to be established, was announced by John. The work of John as a forerunner has been predicted by Isaiah, Isaiah 40. Also, we can take a look at Mark 1, 4, uh, 14 and 15, and Matthew 3, 3. Even though John the baptizer lived and died before the church of Christ was established, and even though he was never a citizen of the kingdom, it is still the case that during the ministry, he announced the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Matthew 3, the first three of the verses. The expression the kingdom, or the expression at hand, does not mean the kingdom was already set up. If it meant such, then the kingdom was not set up by Christ. Yet we know that Christ did build, set up the kingdom, the church, in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. The expression at hand was certainly future in the basic coronation. The day in which the expression at hand referred was future up until the day of Pentecost. The kingdom was certainly future when John the baptizer preached that it was at hand. It was also future immediately before the time when Jesus was baptized and entered into his public ministry. This is seen in the case because Jesus also preached that men should repent because in in Matthew 4.17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But after the day of Pentecost, the kingdom was already in existence. Colossians 1 13. And from that day, the kingdom is referred uh, to as being in existence in uh, Acts 2, 22 through 27. So all the elements that are necessary for the kingdom to be in existence came to be on the first day of Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, the kingdom was established on that day. So the expression at hand never refers to a time that is past. Neither does the expression refer to a time that is far distance in the future. 600 years before the birth of Christ, Daniel said that God would set up a kingdom. Daniel 2.44. But Daniel did not say that it was at hand at the time he wrote the prophecy. At that time, the kingdom was more than 600 years in the future. But when the time was fulfilled and the kingdom was about to appear, it was said to be at hand. The time was not fulfilled at the time 
when Daniel wrote that it would be set up. For it was more than 600 years in the future. Let's go on here with some more scripture. Jesus did say, the kingdom is fulfilled. Excuse me, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1.15 The Lord did not say that the time would be fulfilled 2,000 years later. He said that the, te- that the time is fulfilled. Our premillennialist friends presently tell us that the time has not yet come. But the writer of Hebrews says that, he, that they received the kingdom in the first century. Hebrews 12, 28. A crucial question should be asked at this point. When was the so-called failure of the kingdom announced? The Bible answer is it never was announced. Period. One can go through the gospel records from the time of the trial of Christ and confirm the truth that there is no statement to the effect that the kingdom was to be postponed. There is no reference to that at all. Christ made it clear that the kingdom would be set up during the time of some who lived during his, Christ's own earthly ministry. In Mark 9, 1, the Bible says that he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you they are there are some here of them that stand by who shall in no wise taste of death till they see the kingdom of God come with power unless some of you uh, unless some who were living at the time Jesus made that statement are still living the kingdom already has been established since no person is still living on the earth the kingdom has already been established we're going to stop right there and we're going to finish this business uh, this um, material that I've prepared here about the kingdom and then all of this will be yours. The timetable of the premillennialists is false. It is elaborate and there is no basis at all of it in the Bible. They take things literally, sometimes figuratively, and that is wrong. There is no mention of a lot of these things. We went over that last week and we're going to continue next week with the kingdom of God. I have about Two and a half more pages that I wish to read that I prepared so that all of us will be clear. The kingdom has been established. We're not waiting. It never was postponed. All of that is false. All of that theory is false. There is um, an urgent need for all of us to read and study God's word. That's how we increase our faith. If we're not familiar with the Word of God, there is no way, no way that we can even begin to refute any of those arguments. But let us remember that those of us that are Christians knew enough to become a Christian. Therefore, we know enough to teach someone else. All of this can be handled later. The most important thing is to show people the true Christ as what the Bible says. And if you're a true member of the Church of Christ, a New Testament Christian, you know enough to teach someone else. At least you ought to. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for those present and those online. Continue to bless us, Father, as you see that we need it. Help us to remember all of those in our prayers that we need to remember, and there are many. Continue to watch over us, Lord. 
And help us all, as we've already said, to be diligent daily Bible students of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.